Alexander, Vivin Nectar, episode 263. Listen, I'm doing a lot better than the last time. The last time I spoke on here, I had to take a couple breaks. I had to drink my water. I was just a little bit, my voice just wasn't there. I wouldn't say I was out of it, but my voice just wasn't able to keep up for some reason. And I know last episode, I spoke about wanting to cover J. Cole's storyline after the offseason. We're, we're going to go and touch, touch on that this episode, definitely. And I believe there was a couple more topics I was going to touch up on that. I haven't forgot it. We're going we're gonna to bring it over to this episode. But I got a couple more. A uh, couple more. Morris. Wow. I got a couple more. There we go. I just want to say, we're doing something a little bit different. We're not, we're not wearing the hoodie this episode. You guys may see it sometimes visually, but it isn't like I break down sweating while recording. But I about after 30 minutes or so, it's the headphones. For whatever reason, when I, when I record with headphones on, it just makes everything a lot more hot. And whenever I have that with the hoodie combo, just because I get comfortable, it just gets to a state of, man, it is, it's, not, it's not a pleasant feeling recording right now. It's, it's not a good time. So we're we switching it with the, with the jersey, the KD Golden State jersey. I've uh, been a fan ever since uh, the trade of Golden State. Uh, I, found it I found it profound. I found it inspirational. And I just love the way the Warriors dominated for years in the easiest way possible. No, that, that's not the reason I lost the bet and I had to buy the jersey. <laughs> I had to buy the jersey. And since then, funny enough, but we're going to start it like this. Um, the power of an NBA jersey, it's something that it's almost like you're wielding the Infinity Gauntlet. Having the KD Warriors jersey back in 2017 and ever since then, like back when KD was with the Warriors, you felt powerful. You felt like you had the entire universe through your veins. I remember I went to a Magics game. I forgot which, I forgot which team my Magics were playing. But anyhow, I wore the KD jersey. And it was just reactions nonstop. I felt like the villain. I felt like Kang going through multiple timelines and everybody was an Avenger consistently trying to take me down. It's, it's not my fault that arguably the greatest player in the planet was handing L's left and right. And I, w- I, I was able to channel that energy through my own reality. I, I, was, I was KD. <laughs> it was a KD. But it's fun when it comes to sport, when it comes to jerseys and just the reaction you would get. As many people hated the fact that I was wearing it, like, boo, KD, man, that guy sucks. He sold out his team. He left Westbrook behind. To some people be like, hell yeah, you, you get it. You get it. You appreciate it. You, the, the move KD committed was monumental, sensational, truly out of this world. I felt like a monster in uh, Space Jam. But I, I wasn't the main player. But with that, this episode, I'm recording in my jersey. I'm feeling nice. I'm feeling cool. I'm feeling a lot more cool. But these headphones make it like 20 degrees warmer in here. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And it's always been something with headphones. It, it, regardless of the brand, regardless. I'm over the head headphone, headphones. For those of you listening to this um, on the audio, over the head headphones. It's just something that, I don't know, maybe everybody goes through it. I never really asked like, hey. Whenever you wear headphones, is it, does it get extremely hot? Is it just me? It is just me? Oh, man, that would be a terrible, terrible reality. Would it be that bad of a reality? Yeah, it is. Anyhow, we're going to be doing reviews. We're bringing uh, reviews back. Not like they technically disappeared, 
But we're also going to be doing album reviews. I've been infamous for my single reviews here on the Vivid Nectar podcast. But it's about time that we started bringing the album reviews back. I promised a couple album reviews throughout the past year and never came around to it. I know some of you guys were like, yeah, we're waiting. Juice World, <laughs> Pop Smoke, Kendrick, Jid, Denzel Curry, Ice Spice. For those of you that are asking for Ice Spice, it's a little weird, but it's all right. It's all right, you know, because that's also coming. No one's really asked for Ice Spice. I'm, I'm just, I'm, a, I'm gonna be honest. No one's asking for Ice Spice, but it feels, a, it feels a bit cooler if I pretend like people were asking for it. Like there's a legitimate demand. There, there is no demand. I'm sorry. I'll stop doing this. But today's schedule, we're gonna be reviewing or, yeah, reviewing. Heroes and Villains Metro Boomin, we've had close to almost two months with this album, more like a month and a half. And I had a phenomenal time listening to this album. From there, Trippy Red Mansion Music. I debated how long I wanted to wait, continuously listen. But honestly, uh, not to say that it's surface level, but once you listen to it twice, that's basically, you're not going to get much more after listening to it twice. My mind, I know my mind's not going to change two weeks from now on this. I'm not going to get anything out of the features or the verses that are like, profound. I didn't notice before. It's okay. I got it. So of course, I'm going to tell you my opinions after that. Then we're going to carry on with J. Cole's storyline after the offseason. After the offseason. You heard it right. So Fago, how I feel about his music, his career. And this is coming from someone that isn't too in tune with So Fago um, or as far as like the underground is he, technically, is he underground anymore? I don't know. I feel whenever artists start signing to bigger labels, they start getting them polished music videos. So, you know, everything starts becoming a little uh, up that tier, higher grade that it's not so much underground. But anyhow, I, from the outside, been paying attention to some commentary around Sofago with his music, some of his um, career decisions. And I wanted to give my input in here, seeing as how this is an artist that I traditionally enjoy more compared to, let's say, for example, Summers or Tana. And at, at times, between him and Ken Carson, I, I enjoy them both. So Fago, Ken Carson, and Destroy Lonely. I'm warming up to them. Not, I'm not going to listen to them as much as, like, you know, for example, rappers I already listen to, but it's a starting point. From there, we're going to be discussing Mike Dimes, what I'm looking forward to in 2023, what he was able to display in 2022. Going to be covering Jaleel, nice, clean, raw energy, another artist I'm looking forward to. And then, unfortunately, the Ice Ice Spice EP. And I want to cover it for the sake of, I told you so, whenever her career just breaks down and doesn't go the way she thinks it's going to go in her head. Or any other of these... um, I want to say corporations or pages that like they talk about the music, her music, they hype it up. And whenever it comes to interviews, they just hype it up. It's like, stop lying. Like the Coy Coy LeRae situations, man. It's just stop lying. From there, we're going to be discussing, you know, Earl Sweatshirt, Doris, why it's my favorite album, why I view it to be Earl's best album as well. I understand the high praise for some rap songs, but to me, it's just uh, I favor a lot more things with Doris. I've done a reel on this, but I wanted to take more than 30 to 60 seconds to explain why I enjoy Doris. I believe from there, I want to talk about The Last of Us Episode 1. I believe Episode 2 drops tomorrow, so I want to talk about it. 
And that whole situation with uh, the police officer that decided, all seven officers that decided to engage in some pancake servings on some crazy Brazzers edition performance inside the precinct. <laughs> Yo, it's so out of this world that it's just like, I sort of want to discuss it. And here we are. We've been going on for a good amount of time. Let's get right into it. Metro Boomin Heroes and Villains Review. This is an album that is attached to my life through memories. First time I listened to it was whenever I was in Atlanta and, you know, I was visiting a uh, family vacation. So it was just perfect. Uh, everything from the release, the rollout to what I was going through at the moment was just ready to resonate with this album. Metro Boomin, of course, having a jam-packed album with familiar features. We're not going too crazy with artists that haven't had Metro Boomin chemistry. It's the ones we we're already used to. And I'm okay with that. Of course, notable features that we've been seeing. Future, Travis Scott, 21 Savage, Young Thug, loving the addition of Don Tolliver spread throughout here. The weekend, of course. And then we have some other features that aren't brand like, oh wow, they're mind-blowing. We need it going forward, Mustafa. But some 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 ones that were appreciated pretty well. ASAP Rocky, for example. I would love to see him more with Metro Boomin' and Takeoff. And those were, you know, a lot uh, John Legend in the beginning, of course. The features are all executed this perfectly to a certain extent, of course. A great feature selection and going into the album itself on time by Metro Boomin and John Legend. Yo, this is beautiful. The orchestra on here, the way it sort of creeps up. It feels like we're in the beginning of one of the, of the Marvel, uh, Marvel intros where everything's flipping. That's how it feels. That's how it feels the first time listening to this from the vocals, John Legend. And eventually towards the end, when we get that on Homelander going into superhero, it's just tense. It's dense, is dark, and sinister. One thing that I want to say in relation to heroes and villains, the title, the themes, it doesn't get too, it, it, there's not much exploration when it comes to the themes and the world that was built. There wasn't any point throughout this album that I felt like, you know, sort of like this feels like a heroes kind of theme or villains kind of theme. And the branding is amazing. Loving how it relates to the cover art with the Metro booming with the flames in the suit. But overall, there wasn't a point where I was just like, oh, this is like a villainous track or this is a heroic track. It just didn't, didn't do that. And that's okay. Superhero, malicious, instrumental, one of the best in 2022. Future body to Chris Brown, breezy baby, doing some magic on the outro. Uh, and, and this is something I was like, yo, Metro, breezy. I want more of this going forward in the future. Continuing with the momentum, too many nights with Metro Boomin, of course. Future Don Tolliver, Don Tolliver doing excellent on the hooks. And Don Tolliver in this album, I believe outshine Travis Scott, which is monumental seeing the Proto-J proto eclipsing the teacher. And I don't want to go too much on this tangent on how Travis Scott has been throughout the past couple of years with his you know, with songs outside of this. But I just found Don Tolliver's vocals to be sharper, to be a bit more polished, show more variety, a lot more life instead of sometimes a very predictable and mundane monotoned Travis verses that we do get. Raindrops, a track that we've been anticipating for a long time. Excellent. Well done. Uh, well done. <laughs> well done. And definitely set the atmosphere. 21 Savage and Young Nudie. This is a duo that Ever since I heard them together on EA, it's like nothing's been able to live up to it. Yes, I know we shouldn't, I shouldn't be expecting, oh, the same thing with EA or having to eclipse that. 
But anytime I hear an instrumental that just isn't haywire, wacky, mind-boggling, and just an odd choice that ends up working out well, it is slightly disappointing. I felt the instrumental on here was played safe, even the flows between the two, but I love it. It's addictive. It's malicious. Makes me want to go down an ops block and go haywire. And I'm going to skim through this middle section and, and not so much like, yeah, I don't care for it. I love this middle section right here. And but let's just, let me, let me continue on. Trance, Travis Scott, Young Thug, mellow, melodic, beautiful. Happy we didn't get the Drake feature on here. Executed well. Going on with Around Me, Don Tolliver, another clean addition. Metro Spider with Young Thug. There's a Candace on here that Young Thug goes on when he continues to rhyme that was very Lil Wayne-esque from the flow to the way everything just sort of rolled out the tongue. And I can't save you. I can't save you. I can't save you. I can't save you. This right here is jaw-dropping. Uh, one of my favorites, this interlude, honestly, is a better song than most of the songs on this album. Metro Boomin blew my mind away and creeping with the weekend Able Baby 21 Savage. I wanted to cry. I wanted to cry the way the sample was slowed down and eventually sped up as the pacing continues. The weekend doing that introduction, uh, I felt like my heart was ready to blow up. And then when it speeds up and Abel continues to carry it pretty well with his vocals, I was like, this is what we're talking about. This is the meat. This is the meat and potatoes. 21 Savage doing what 21 Savage does best. Uh, does best and, and finished it off strong. Niagara Falls, this is a track that it's similar to a certain extent to Raindrops with that Travis Scott tempo, which is a bit disappointing, but the addition of 21 Savage lets this remain fresh. Walk him down. 21 Savage, Mustafa, loving the dynamic here of walking down on your ops. And that one time, whenever you want to transition away from the violence and you were caught blindly by somebody else taking on your own life, really fits this battle 21 Savage has been, has been facing over the past year or so of, uh, you know, attempting to be an advocate of reducing gun violence, reducing violent conversations, actions. However, his own music being being the music that's like, hey, yo, we shooting people. His music itself being violent. So walk him down uh, with a Mustafa feature being a track that sort of treads that duality. Lock on me, unfortunately, feels repetitive to what we've already heard with raindrops and even Niagara Falls with that kind of theme going on. Feel the fire. ASAP Rocky take off the A to Z rhyme style from Takeoff Legendary. Uh, love the fact that he took upon himself a challenge, Rocky, on the hook. It sort of reminded me of um, the ambience on Brother Man from testing all the money with Gunna, I felt was a pretty, pretty safe end to the album. I would have enjoyed something more grand. But overall, my thoughts on this, Metro Boomin, Heroes and Villains, is Metro Boomin's strongest album to date. His most cohesive, as far as the production, it is luscious, it is vicious. There are points in here that just genuinely puts you in a soundtrack. And whenever it comes to the themes of heroes and villains, this album is definitely on the villainous side. If I have to give this album a rating for you guys, this is a strong 9 out of 10. Some of the flaws, of course, being the multiple Travis Scott songs that just don't have enough variety. And I felt there could have been a bit more bit more experimentation, whether we're talking about 21 Savage and Young Nudie. And yeah, let me know your guys' thoughts. With that being said, 
I love it. Um, I'm, I have this album tied with Atlanta. Uh, right now, I'm still listening to this to this album, and it's just it's real contagious, man. Real contagious. Now, recently, Trippy released a new album, Mansion Music, and it's studded with features. It's ridiculous. Almost every single track on here has features, which, to you know, to a certain degree, could be could be seen as well. Like, all right, we're gonna have a lot of diversity, but unfortunately for me, that means there might not be much direction, which is, is okay. And that's something that this album ends up, you know, handling pretty well. We're not going to go, it's not going to be, it's not here for cohesiveness. We're not here to tell a narrative. We got all these features here because we're trying to make every single, every song be like a single, its own thing. You revisit it, you shuffle it through. You don't necessarily listen to it from start to finish. But with that being said, Trippy Reds Mansion Music released about two, what, like, maybe 36 hours ago or so. And it is star-studded, bloated with features ranging from Chief Keef, Future, Lil Baby, Juice World, Lil Dirk, Nardo Wig, Lucky, Rich Kids, Summers, Bridal Rodriguez, Key Master Slum God, so on and so forth. This album has 25 tracks. It is heavily bloated. It has a giant like rock star punk aesthetic. And Trippy is going blow for blow on almost every single track. How is the album? Well, whenever it comes to the general production on here, it is pretty hard hitting, pretty aggressive. We have slashes of just the guitar ripping through. And then we have some moments, a little bit of psychedelic influence, some heavy distorted bass, 808. And when it comes to the lyrical content, ignorant, ignorant, ignorant in the best way possible. And by best way, to trippy standard, um, there's nothing in here that is going to stand out completely, at least in my book. With 25 tracks, you're eventually going to run into sort of the same drum, sort of the same loop, some of the same guitar rips as well. And this is where you will hope the features do enough to where it carries those moments where it sounds repetitive. And that's whenever I feel split on the album. Now, Mansion Music, we have a pretty solid intro, slowly escalating with Atlantis, Chief Keef doing great on the instrumental here, eventually going into Psycho, which I, I, I wanted a little bit more from, um, from Future. I'm going to be real with y'all. And going for another track fully loaded with Trippy, Future, and Lil Baby, Future just doesn't seem to really set himself apart or stand out enough from Trippy's vocals compared to the instrumental. And it just sort of reaches a, a middle point where it's like, hey, you know, I got paid to be here. <laughs> I got paid to be here. I'm going to do my, my little end. And Lil Baby, I love the fact that, hey, you know, he tried. He tried to rap on the track, but it just doesn't fit. And he isn't anim animated enough to carry. Nightcrawler by Juice World and Trippy Red. Jaw-dropping banger. This is a smash hit for me. Juice World, oh, Man, a young talent that was able to sound like he's featured on his own music. From the hook to the verses to the candace to that energy, that druggy, them druggy verses, that unpolished vocal that gets refined. Shouts out to whoever worked on this, Nightcrawler. This was exceptional chef's kiss going on to van helsing dark brotherhood that's when it for me it reaches a bit of a lower point nightcrawler was such a highlight that from here on from van helsing to free rio it was just like all right we get some it, it's it's okay <laughs> it's okay crazy teen uh, crazy train trippy red and travis scott this is the follow-up to dark knight Duma, a much highly anticipated collaboration that completely Law, uh, falls flat. Instrumental is crazy, but there isn't like that sort of um, 
those changes in Dark Knight Duma where it was like sort of rise up with the orchestra and then go down, Trippy decides to do the bare minimum, repeating the same bars over and over and over in a, sort of a higher pitch. Bay, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. It's like, what? And then whenever it came to the actual verses, it's just that it followed that same can. It's like, might lose my cool. Don't try to shoot, but high pitch, lacking the energy and lacking the presence Dark Knight Dumo had. Like something with Trippy Red on that track is whenever he's just sort of um doing his crooning moans and the and the way it just sort of stretches out on the track and it just collapses back in in itself. We don't get that here. He tries to let the instrumental carry it through. But Trippy Red at his best is when his voice also plays as an instrumental on top of the verses being discussed. Now, Travis Scott, uh, almost everything that I said about Trippy applies to him, except it is a little bit more of a performance. We don't have to deal with an awkward higher pitch, but it's just forgettable. Um, one thing that I enjoyed on Dark Knight Dumo was the fact that we got that Astroworld mention and it felt like, oh, we're creeping up on that season. You know, Astroworld, my planet, my home, tying that in with the song. And then everything that went in was um, delicious. On here, there was a lot to be wanted, but honestly, recently, Travis Scott just hasn't been doing it. And then, of course, the way the song ends with that bay, yeah, I do pre-chorus. And then the chorus just sounding lazy. And then the verse that we get in the end overstays is welcome. This is a track that we could have been done at the three minute mark. And that extra 51 second is a chore to go through. Oh, wait, did I forget to mention there's another pre-chorus and chorus on here? Definitely not the most enjoyable. Going on from here, Lil Durk does what he can on muscles. Again, he doesn't feel like he belongs on here. Nardo Wick, I'm not the biggest fan. So when it comes to the Raspberry Voice performance, it just loses me. High Hopes, Trippy Red and Big 30. It was okay. Same thing with Die Die, Trippy Red and Lucky. I felt Lucky I gave it a different dynamic than what we would have usually got. Who else? Rich the Kid. <laughs> Let's not even waste our time with this. Trippy Red and Summers was a bit enjoyable. And this last portion, honestly, from like track 17 to 25, listening from start to finish could be a chore, but some of the highlights would definitely be Toilet Water with Ski Mask, the Slump God, G Herbal on Pure, the fact that G Herbal already wraps off beat and the instrumental itself isn't something to where it has that rhythm, was able to flow by pretty great from what my experience with G Herbal's verses. Rock out, Trippy Red and Chief Keef. We need Chief Keef to rap on more of these instrumental because he really is going crazy. And the baby giving what I believe would be an under, underrated verse, him having some, what I would like to say, a more animated flow compared to the rest of them. And Trippy Red with a can't tell me nothing, can't tell me nothing hook is something that it does enough to carry through. But whenever we just repeat the same five verses over and over again, something he's displayed throughout this album, it just gets tiresome. Trippy Red, Lil B, Swag Like Ohio. I never want to hear a track like this again. And Colors by Kodak Black being the send off, the final, the final song on here. I would have enjoyed a bit more from Kodak. Uh, of course, we get the Yo Pierre want to come out here. Production is more entertaining, but for me overall, it, I felt Kodak. Kodak and Trippy White could have, I don't know, something, there was some magic here that just wasn't executed as much as I would have liked. But with that, this is Trippy Red Mansion Music, heavily bloated, 
full of pe- uh, full of features. Unfortunately, there's a lot more average, mundane featured performances. You're not going to get anything out here where I was just like, wow. Um, they Trippy truly brought out the best of these artists. At certain points, these artists don't even come off as uncomfortable on the beat or to a point where they're able to truly outshine or be at their best. It's, a little, it's very underwhelming. The instances where Trippy is sort of on himself, like Mansion Music and Van Helsing, it, to you know, a certain degree, they are more enjoyable. He's able to sort of be in his own ball game. But then Trippy hasn't leveled up what I want to say his hooks, honestly, his hooks and his lyricism enough to be entertaining to carry everything through, which of course offset it with the features. And then the features being a bit underwhelming, like for uh, from what I've said, some of the highlights being Juice World, Ski Master, Glo- uh, Ski Master Slump God, Chief Keef, G Herbo. And overall, I would have to give this album, Mansion Music, a solid four out of 10. It wasn't terrible. And honestly, it wasn't average either due to the fact that even shuffling through some of these tracks, it was just like, there's a lot of people that shouldn't be on here. There's a lot of songs that should have been made. It felt like every single song Trippy recorded trying to create this was put in place. (laughs) Was put in place. That's the Mansion Music, Trippy Red. Now, two reviews. I wanted to step the game up with the reviews. I didn't want, hey, here's one. And then I forget about it going forward. It's just like, no, I want to give you guys two reviews back to back. And we got a couple more coming up and get into, you know, get into the rhythm of reviews because reviews have always been, well, album reviews, not something that I've struggled with, but I'm trying to find my own format. So far, traditionally, um, I'd enjoy doing tracks one by one and then sort of skimming through, bouncing back with features, themes, so on and so forth. That's working out well. You guys let me know how you feel about it, hearing it through. Now, J. Cole's storyline after the off-season. It's important to know before the off-season, there was a drought of features on J. Cole albums. J. Cole favoring more the themes, the cohesiveness, and the overall story from the projects or sort of the lessons to learn. For Your Eyes Only, of course, the last song, K.O.D., uh, related to drugs, addictions, trauma. And then we had that run with Revenge of the Dreamers, uh, Revenge of the Dreamers 3 where J. Cole was sounding very, very fresh, fun, uh, collaborating with many, uh, collaborating with a very variety amount of artists that was truly a gift, man. We, we were, I, I was happy. Like, damn, we, we, finally, we finally got some variety in here. So going off into the off season, just on the mixtape alone, I mean mixtape, on the cover by itself, basketball off season, tying it to the most lyrically, and the most, lyrically capable J. Cole version of J. Cole that we have received. Features ranging from 21 Savage, Moray, Lil Baby, Boss, Black. And it was just a pleasant surprise. And honestly, this is one of what I believe highest J. Cole albums with high replayability just for the fact that J. Cole himself has stepped up immensely on these solo tracks. I mean, the lyricism is addictive. It gets you hooked in. The way he's able to flow through also isn't a bit of a, doesn't come off as preachy. It's like, all right, we've been in a bit of the world in here, 95 South, going on to Amari. But that relationship, that chemistry he has with these artists just brings it up to another level. I don't want this to be too much of a breakdown on the offseason. So what's J. Cole's storyline after it? After all of this, what are we looking at? We're looking at about two more J. Cole albums to fall off. And I believe the boy, the 
his uh, potentially last album. J. Cole has proven that, hey, I'm hungry. I'm hungrier than ever. I'm still here. I'm going to drop some of the best lyrical songs. I'm going to drop some of my best features as well. And it's going to sound fresh. And I'm going to remind you guys when it comes to this conversation of who are the best rappers, not to leave J. Cole's name out. That's definitely storyline after the offseason. You cannot leave J. Cole out of this top 10. You can't just push him away to be like, eh, he's not that. You know, he, he raps. He raps well. It's not exceptional. J. Cole himself proving that. Proving that he's hungry and that he's actually inspired. Inspired enough to where he wants to continue to let everybody know he's the best rapper alive and genuinely feels that way. So his storyline after the offseason, I could see being continuing to cement his legacy and cement it in a way where he tired of y'all talking. He, he tired of people saying he's not the one. Like, no, you. by the time I'm done, it's going to be top five, that kind of energy. And um, definitely going more so into, I want to say, maybe his own personal family life. We've seen trauma get explored with KOD. We've seen a resurgence of fun with Revenge of the Dreamers 3 and inspiration on here when it comes to his pen. So he, I, will, I would like to believe diving into his own family relationship dynamics, this new, new source of inspiration also helping create uh, other fun animated collaborations. And that's going into the fall off, seeing as how J. Cole is going to be this deep in his career. And instead of him sort of falling off, he's continuing to elevate, which is which which will be a nice, you know, sort of full circle moment. J. Cole going from uninspired to the title track fall off to actually more inspired than ever before. And J. Cole's the furthest from falling off at this point. So that's the storyline I have for J. Cole on the offseason. Let me know your guys' thoughts on this. And Listen, listen, this, try, this album has been holding up pretty well. I, I believe I revisit Offseason the most, Forest Hills Drive, followed up with Recently Born Sinner. The most recently born sinner, and I'm excited for this, man. We excited for this, goal. We excited for this. Now, going on from here, Solfago has been pretty interesting when it comes to commercial success. So how, how, would, how would I do this? How would I label this? <clears throat> Soul Fagel's commercial success has been a bit of an up and down battle. Um, signing with Cactus Jack, getting some of that industry mainstream juice when it comes to his career, when it comes to his aesthetic, hasn't played out the best when it comes to numbers. But when it comes to his overall character when it comes to the music i find it to be quite enjoyable i feel his music his production is a lot more polished it doesn't feel as messy at times too why i want to say like ken carson and his melodic performances do end up being a bit more smooth but i know how would i how would i say this better i'm able to follow through easier with it and probably even sing it better to a better to a certain extent and unfortunately um, I believe since 2020 with his last project, there was a bit of a drought, not a lot of music being released. And unfortunately, when you never you get these signing to like, for example, Cactus Jack, getting this mainstream, this mainstream commercial branding attached to you when you're coming up from the underground isn't exactly the best move. Um, a lot of times, especially in this fast food era of music, I find it whenever you're coming out of the underground to stick to yourself as much as possible 
feed the fans, man. Because once you do reach that point, whenever you, you know, ultimately you're big, and if you are assigned to a label, you can't feed them as much. You now have to do things on a schedule. Everything has to be more polished. You could lose the very identity that helped built you. I believe that's something that Solfago had to deal with for a good bit. But thankfully, I want to say the quality on Pink Hearts is able to sort of sort of bleed through this mishap or this little hiccup in his career. Uh, from hell, yeah, with Ken Carson. Stay awake with Lil Uzi. Uh, Price, I have like a guilty pleasure with Price for whatever reason. And transparency being an intro that it wasn't mind-boggling to me, but it was just like, and I visited, I revisited from time to time. I feel, I believe musically, Solfago is, he's going to be good for the long term, but it all depends on the amount of music he's going to be able to drop. And if he just sort of, you know, stops focusing so much on the haters, the people that are looking down on him, I believe some of it is ego related. And who am I to say, oh, it's his ego. But, you know, just focus on the music. Don't worry about the noise and let the music speak for itself. And just continue on your own branding. And I feel you'll see the, so Fago will see the commercial uh, success that's going to grow with that. Pink Hearts. Nice listen, nice listen. Now, an artist that I'm looking forward to in 2023 that had a breakout 2022 would be Mike Dimes. He released his album In Dimes We Trust, In Dimes We Dimes, In Dimes We Trust. It took me forever to say it back in um, last year, March 8th, 2022. And I've been a big fan of Mike Dimes ever since I heard, I want to say, Backrooms. It was explosive. It was like a boxing match with his verses against another fighter in the ring. And that, that's the aggressiveness it held. And then following that up with Home, following that up with Where to Party at, Mike Dimes with Duke Deuce. That feels like a dance party anthem. It had the right energy. Um, his voice being more on the deeper side demands the attention. And it was just a very, very strong project. He had another one before, In Dimes We Trust, that I listened to. But In Dimes We Trust is the one that I was just like, okay, we're getting like from start to finish this identity. Like, go go, go with it. Go with it completely. Um, some other ones, the paparazzis, pretty well. Love his softer, you know, sort of like softer songs could use a little bit more work. It could, it could get a little bit more, how would I say? I, I would say whenever he sort of strips back and isn't rapping, he could, he could um, improve on that end. But with that, I'm excited for Mike Dimes in 2023. I would love to see what kind of collaborations we're going to get out of him. And artists that I would like to see Mike Dimes just continue with would be Jid and Denzel Curry. Uh, just them two, I would love to continue to see that. And with that, another artist that I'm looking forward to in 2023, Jaleel. Now, Jaleel, he hasn't dropped, I believe he hasn't dropped an album since 2019, Angel from Heaven. And, and since then, he's had multiple singles throughout the year, throughout these past three years that have been gaining traction, him himself. And what I love about Jaleel is just the clean, raw, energy, being able to just display this kind of aura in the music for it to be addictive, for it to be explosive, and for it to also do the numbers as well is 
something that is is to be appreciated, especially when we have a large amount of artists that um not to take away their craft just because they curse or because they talk about, you know, shooting up other people. But when an artist is able to bring that energy, but in a way where it's more motivational, it's more clean, it isn't as destructive, you could say you're negative. It's something that needs to get appreciated more. One thing that I want to look forward to, Jaleel, in 2023 is a bit more rapping. I, I would enjoy a bit more rapping, uh, those a bit slices in there when it comes to his music. And most importantly, like an album, like a legitimate album from, from him this year. It's been about three years. Singles will take you far, you know, everything from the music, but everything Jaleel has been doing, has, he's been doing it perfectly. But let's, let's not wait like forever for another project. Dog. Let's, not, let's not wait too long here. But Jaleel is another artist I have on the radar for 2023. Now, look, I Spice, I Spice, I Spice. Only reason I'm commenting on this is because I want to be able to say I told y'all so. Munch released August 10, 2022. Blew the internet by storm. All of a sudden, we've had multiple females, multiple, multiple niggas saying, hey, you know what? You are Munch. And I'm over here like, Munch? We're biting? What? And then I started saying it. And I was like, oh, no, I've been contaminated. Hey, not me, too. And it was a smash hit. It released almost, what, six? Nah, five months ago. Five months ago. And since then, it's been a drought when it comes to when it's come to Ice Spice's music. Now, she eventually released Bikini Bottom. But, um, you know, rapping on that Bikini Bottom instrumental. But however, it's just like, really? But with that, this is let me let me make this more review. Ice Spice, like question mark, EP released about 36 hours or so. And it's disappointing to say the least. Um, we have Munch in here, of course, for the streams. But this is a song that's already played out. It's about five months old. And the fact that this EP took over five months when you had so much momentum dropping Munch, it's just, a, it's just too little too late. That's something that artists need to start capitalizing on is whenever you got a song that's hot, there, there needs to be like a project or multiple singles following that up to show some sort of diversity, start building that discography, start turning some of the regular core fans into hardcore fans to be able to, you know, let them support you. And then, you know, we got Bikini Bottom, but it, it could be me hating, but it's goofy. It's goofy. doesn't really show. It, it shows that Ice Spice is willing to get on a goofy track, which is admirable, I guess you could say. But it just didn't have the impact. Not even the impact. It just felt weird. It was, it was a weird. It's like, all right, it's goofy. It's fun. What else you got? Here we are. Technically, we got four new tracks. In Hamoud, Princess Diana, Gangsta Boo by Ice Spice 2. TJ acting a smoochie. Every single one of these being quite forgettable, drill-like, lyrical content, more or less the same, which isn't too bad. But whenever, whenever the momentum's burning out and you got people trying to find a discography, if this is what you're showing out with, it's not going to be a good look. I predict Ice Spice to sort of be um, following the same path as Koi LeRae and Saweetie, hot for a little bit. The looks is going to be able to get her um, some features, some, you know, some features here and there, some tracks here and there. But it's just slowly going to dwindle away to obscurity and it's not going to be pleasant in her mood if we really want to dive deep into it. Uh, you know, starting off the hook repeatedly, like, damn, she and her mood, different ad libs. It, it's not entertaining. 
Um, the ad libs aren't nothing we haven't heard before. And I wish Ice Spice would have given it some flair or she would continue to give herself some ad libs that is like Ice Spice related, like continuing that that have munch vocabulary. I feel that's a good way Ice Spice would be able to capitalize on herself. But it is a downer going. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Album cover. Very explicit, which for Ice Spice, the way she handles herself, her image matches it up pretty well. And then going on to Princess Diana, it's just starting. I would prefer Ice Spice to start off with some verses instead of the hook. If, if you're going to be going into this drill, uh, draw, a drill genre, if it's on some hard hitting music, starting off with a hook can sort of keep it stale and boring. Start it off with the verses, maybe even keep the hooks to a minimum and be able to be like, all right, you know, Listen to these bars. Listen to these bars. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to be outstanding, but at least going to be able to like, all right, take it. It feels a bit more serious with that. But uh, Princess Diana, I mean, nothing, nothing notable on here. And overall, Ice Spice, like question mark, like question mark, is uh, very underwhelming, forgettable. There is, an, is a very one-dimensional identity on here, a very one-dimensional aesthetic. And I never want to listen to it again. I'm going to give this a solid 2 out of 10. I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10 just because there was like a couple more tracks. Four tracks. I mean, arguably a couple more tracks. I expected, I expected at least like three. She managed to do like, all right, four for an EP. So I was like, all right. All right. And even then, I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt. Now, going from here, we're, we're at the end point of this episode. I'm looking at the battery life of the camera right now. I'm like, ooh. Running down a little bit quicker than I expected. My favorite Earl Sweatshirt album, and what I find to be Earl Sweatshirt's best body of work, is Doris. Doris, released all the way back August 20, 2013. It's going to reach a 10 year mark this year. There hasn't been an Earl album yet that has been able to grab my attention as much as the instrumentals on this album throughout it. I feel the features are some of its freshest, most malicious, and even at its softest and melodic Sunday with Frank Ocean. It's like a breath of fresh air, something I can listen to in the summertime. Please remind me a song as lyrically dense and hard-hitting as Hive with Casey Veggies and Vince Staples. We don't get any of this on some rap songs. We don't get any on this on Sick. We don't get any on this on I Don't Like Shit. I Don't Go Outside. And as much as I could see the admiration, the respect and appreciation for those albums, some even putting some rap songs above Doris, I, I just find it to be, I find it ridiculous. I don't know how you guys could sit here, listen to some rap songs, listen to Doris and put some rap songs above Doris. This could be my, my nostalgia blinding me. It could be my lack of, I would say, appreciation and listens to some rap songs that to me, it just, I wasn't able to really click with it. But I do feel what we get presented with Doris just eclipses it in every way possible. Even when it comes to lyricism, it is just, I, I believe this to be his sharpest, his flows, not to be as unpredictable and uncanny, but I also, that also plays for his part when it comes to the replayability. I mean, going into the hits like Whoa with Tyler, the creator, um, Centurion with Vince Staple, it's just on another level for me. And even Guild with Mac Miller, it's just, I find it to be one of his, I wouldn't say darker songs when it comes to lyrical content, but when it comes to the production, it's just, it, it makes me feel like, damn, I want a little bit of sun. This feels terrible. But pre being a 
crazy when it comes to the bass and the whip. Nothing too too that overdoes it, but it's it's exceptional. Burgundy with Vince Staples and just overall. When it comes to features, when it comes to flow, when it comes to even album sequencing every track the way it follows with the next one, it's his best, cohesive, replayable, fun. And honestly, the world that, th- that Doris built is unmatched to this day. I would love to do a deeper take-by-take. Take. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to drop videos covering individual tracks, you know, throughout Throughout, you know, the, the year, whenever I listen to a track, it's like, this is going to be the one. Like I've been doing um, on this podcast and I'm going to be looking forward to that. And with that, we covered most of the topics on here. I want to touch on The Last of Us episode one, but with episode two coming right away, I think I'll just save it for like a good, a good video where I dissect both episodes. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel the, uh, I feel that'll be the right direction to go. And listen, listen, I'll do it real quick for the outro here. Oh, I'm pretty sure you guys have seen it. The story of the female police officer that was doing the sexual activities in the precinct, wherever the police department with six other officers was ridiculous. Um, they were serving Waffle House's Grand Slam. Pancakes were being slapped around. If you needed help in the streets and you were getting clapped, there was cheeks being clapped in the building and your life could have been lost. As much as it's crazy, ridiculous, the fact that she's married, has a husband, and you know, it's like, wow, that's disgusting. And the fact this was all going on. Yo, we also need to blame, we also need to blame the men here. Like, all those men literally looked at each other while they were performing this and said, oh yeah, this is it. This is the move right here. This is, this is what we're thriving on. Why? Why? That's a, yo, that's disgusting. Whether, like, whether it was like three at a time, four at a time, whatever the little train be ran. Like, yo, the fact that all of y'all looked at her and said, that's, that's good. Like, this is what we talk about here. This is what we want. And listen, for, for the shoddy, it, it is terrible because she's married. And the husband said he's going to have her back. And this feels like something from a boondocks episode. This is disgusting. But for the men, y'all really said, hey, I'm game. Like, y'all really looked at her and said, hey, you know what? Her, her by herself, no. Nah, I, I wouldn't want to touch her. I wouldn't even want to kiss her unless there's five other of my bros involved. <laughs> and like all the other guys are like, yeah, bad. They're like, this is a bro thing right now. Like her by herself? No. With the homies. With the homies. Oh, yo. <laughs> With the homies signed me up. It was just a, it's crazy, crazy story right now. Not even Brazzers is able to write a better script for this. There are corn directors at the moment that are stunned, um, appalled, and honestly, sort of <laughs> worshiping the storyline that has been spreading out throughout America with this. And some other things to note, apparently she was like a terrible driver while she was in a police force crashing up to three police vehicles and still getting promotions. I wonder how she was able to get these promotions. Spoiler alert, it was not a very PG way of doing it. And the fact that she was crashing cars left and right, you got this whole situation at hand. There needs to be like a Netflix five episode miniseries based on this. The Brotherhood. The police. <laughs> now, what, what other title can we have on here? <laughs> I, don't, 
I don't even know right now. But I want to give my thoughts on that. And uh, you know what? I want to end it off with this too. This is a different topic here. Andrew Tate has been able to manipulate Aiden Ross in the most masterclass way possible. Um, Andrew Tate, of course, whenever it comes to what he speaks and what he says, I don't really think it's like, uh, not, not the stuff that he's being charged for. Uh, whenever it comes to sort of his uh, red pill conversations, it's nothing mind blowing to me. But it's just like, yo, there's like thousands of the other guys trying to come up the same thing. But the way he's able to manipulate Aiden Ross into thinking like he's somebody that has a genuine interest in who he is and wanting to develop him is, is, is masterclass manipulation. Aiden Ross having millions of followers, being a top streamer. Andrew Tate understands that he's able to go into this fan base. And he's able to influence them to, you know, make, make money for him. Like be like, hey, you know, he's going to pretend like he's cool with Aiden Ross. He's going to pretend like he cares. But this is all a giant chess move that it benefited both of them before all the charges. Because for the most part, you know, it was just a lot of self-improvement talk, you know, real talk. That's just the way it is. You know, going we talk about someone who's a champion, like he got a lot of cars. Aiden Ross, a top streamer. But whenever it came time to, you know, when shit hit the fan, when it hit the fan and Andrew Tate, there is evidence. This isn't something on Alec. This isn't like, oh, maybe where Andrew Tate is abusing and trafficking females. And, and, and Aiden Ross is continuing this dynamic, this relationship with him. Goes to show you that Andrew Tate has perfectly manipulated him. And I wouldn't say groom, but molded him to a point where he feels like he's someone close. And honestly, any kind of influence or mutual benefit from they were getting it's it's not going to cut it anymore. Like, this isn't something that I, I dope entertainment. Now it's just like, bro, no, nah, we got a human trafficker that's abusing your fan base. Well, you know, taking advantage of your fan base, taking advantage of you, and you're sort of molding yourself out to be this human trafficker. And that's the way I'm going to label Andrew Tate right now when it comes to this. And uh, overall, it's just disgusting, especially seeing as how it's just like, He's in his 20s, I think. I, I believe it. What, Aiden Ross is like in his 20s. I might be like a year or two older. But it's just like the way you start molding yourself after a guy like him from the haircuts to the influence to where you need him to sort of, you know, be, be your cheerleader to a certain degree. It's just mad, mad, weird. Andrew Tate definitely getting, um, knows how to get into his deceptive tactics on here and we'll see how things continue to unfold whenever it comes to his court case because for me it isn't as simple as well if the court says he's innocent he's innocent if he's uh, guilty then he's guilty no just based on everything we've seen aboard from the threats to the girls from the way he manipulated girls into working for him which is fraud which is fraud you can't say hey i'm gonna marry you and then you come over there and it's like actually you're gonna work for me whether you like it or not no that's fraud Overall, um, it's disgusting. And I don't know if predatory would be the word, but I'll, I'll say it like this. Actions speak louder, louder than words. Anything Andrew Tate has said is being eclipsed by his actions. And the fact that we're still seeing such fanboyism from somebody with a large following is laughable. Laughable to say the least. Vivid Nectar podcast episode 263. 263. I appreciate you guys. We've done multiple album reviews, multiple music discussion, artist discussions. I'm loving this. We in our bag 2023. We're going to get that monetization on the YouTube. We're going to be getting a lot of quality content here. 
on the podcast as well. Overall quality content, just that one-on-one relationship between me and you and just us talking about things that entertain us, the music, and just overall having a good time. I'm excited for it. I'll catch you guys on the next one.